is really the essence of the theme. The title of these truths we will share is Walk Worthy. Two weeks ago, we considered the context that flowed from that particular theme. And he said, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And those verses that follow tell us that we are to walk in unity, that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We have one hope of our calling, which is through Christ Jesus. Establishing the fact that unity exists in the body of Christ, it has been provided for and produced by the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot produce the unity of the Spirit. We are called upon to maintain the unity already provided for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 identifies the fact that a wall of partition existed between Jew and Gentile, but he demolished that wall and made of the two one and thus made peace and produced unity at Calvary. We are called upon to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit. The enemy, I'm certain, attacks that point of the body of Christ. We are to maintain the unity and walk in unity. This morning, if you look from verse 17, he takes us a step further and you'll notice the word therefore again. That word always indicates something special about the context and those verses that have preceded it flowing not just back over the verses, the first 16 verses, but all of the scriptures that lead up to that point. Chapter 1 tells us that he has redeemed us. He bought us back, purchased us again, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Son of God. Then it says he has By the Spirit made us new. He has recreated us by Christ Jesus. He has reconciled us, brought us back into fellowship with God. That's wonderful. That we enjoy close communion with Him. We have been regenerated, given new life and new fellowship in God. And He has revealed to us in chapter 2 the endless plan from eternity. We are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, by the revelation of what God intends for humanity. Therefore, walk worthy, knowing these things as people redeemed, regenerated, reconciled, and who have received revelation from the Lord. Walk worthy of Him, knowing these things. And also, he said, there are are ways in which I do not expect you to walk. We'll talk today about walking in purity. Next week about walking in charity, walk in love. Walking in light, walk circumspectly, he said. 
walk submissively and walk triumphantly. God has called us to a very special kind of a way of life. Today is a bit from a negative platform, but there is a negative side to our Christian message, and we are obligated under God to preach to you the whole counsel of the Lord. Can you say amen? Not just portions or selected pieces, but everything that God has to say is important to us in our way of life. Verse 17, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So what God is saying to us in the verses we will read today is don't walk like this. That is not really exemplary of your heavenly father isn't it strange how you can see in the children of a particular family a characteristic walk and if the dad or mother has a loping gait chances are junior has a loping gait and you can see in their way of walking that they are part of the family I can tell members of my family in a store, I don't have to see them. I can hear the, the click and the creak two or three aisles away, and I can tell that they're coming. How many know what I'm saying? Not that you know my family that well, but you have your own family in mind. And I have already called out to them two or three aisles away and knew that that was who it was walking through the store. I recognized their gait. Walk worthy of the Lord. Not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, with, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have to give to them that need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted and forgiving, one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. 
May the Holy Spirit bring life to his word this morning. You know the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. And it's my prayer today that this message will be life-giving. That the Holy Spirit will take the truth of his word and help us to know it. Help us to experience it, for you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is liberating. It is life-giving. And it's my desire this morning this word would produce those two things within our heart. With that in mind, the Holy Spirit knows that sin also is death and destruction to us. And the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so we're dealing with an area this morning that can bring to us death and destruction. The thief comes but to, to kill and steal and to destroy. Jesus said, I have abundant life available to you. Don't walk like this. The Gentiles or the world walks like this. Characteristic of the world's walk, the Gentiles walk in verse 17, in the vanity of their mind. It has to do with futility. Some of your translations will say, in the futility, in the emptiness, the vanity of their minds. I think perhaps a good second scripture for us to look at would be Acts chapter 2. The preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Much of his sermon is recorded for us. We have the benefit of the text. And concluding with the fact that they were convicted in their hearts. And they said, men and brethren, what should we do? And Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to your children's children and to as many as are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The very next verse, verse 40, and with many other words, we don't have the text for the rest of the sermon, but the sermon wasn't over. Peter preached on and with many other words. Did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Some translations say, Tear yourself away from this untoward generation. An untoward generation is a generation without direction, without knowing where it's going. Thoreau says, We have improved means to unimproved ends. And I think that is descriptive of our generation today. We have increased and improved technology and so many things to live with, but our lives are still a mess. Improved means to unimproved ends. An untoward generation who doesn't have a sense of direction. They don't know where they're going, but going faster and faster in some direction. We can travel so much faster now, but we don't have a sense of direction we don't really know where we're going. Save yourself, he said. Tear yourself away from a generation who doesn't have a sense of purpose, a sense of direction, who walk in the vanity of their minds, the vainness, the emptiness, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God 
through the ignorance that is in them. And doesn't it seem strange that we live in a generation of people who claim to be enlightened? This is the enlightened generation. And the more liberal they become, the more enlightened they profess themselves to be. And I think it's characteristic and descriptive of what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Those who claim to be so enlightened are in fact and in truth described here as having their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness, not of their eyes, but of their heart. The darkness of their heart, the blindness, they cannot see or perceive that which is eternal for the things that are seen are temporal. Things that are not seen are eternal. Thank God for the capacity we enjoy this morning of an understanding heart made alive by God. So he says, don't walk like they're walking. They don't know where they're going. It's like the blind leading the blind. Everyone ends up in destruction. But there's something better that we can follow. My word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. Hallelujah. We can hide his word in our heart that we would not sin against God. Don't walk that way, he said. In the vanity and the emptiness of of their minds, not talking about their thought pattern or their data bank, but their philosophy, their way of life, lifestyle. Lifestyle. I was at Institute several weeks ago, and Fred Cottrell, who used to be the district superintendent in Southern California, told a story of a man who set his goal on having a BMW. Now, I don't know if anybody here has a BMW, so... I'm not uh, pointing at anybody here. But he set his goal, and it was very expensive, the most expensive model that they produce, and I don't even know how much that is. But he had an accident. And uh, he was pinned in the car, and the fireman was trying to extricate him and had the jaws of life pulling the car apart. And he was heard to, to say, Oh, my BMW, my BMW. The fireman said, sir, you've got a lot more to be worried about than your BMW. You've lost your left arm. He said, oh, my Rolex watch, my Rolex watch. And you say, oh, gee, this man's got his priorities messed up a little bit. But how about us sometimes? We, we don't have our priorities exactly straight. <clears throat> Not quite sure what is more important than other things. But characteristic of this world, having their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God through the darkness that is in their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness or uncleanness with greediness. Insensitivity that leads to promiscuity, that leads to dissatisfaction. Three things in that verse. Who being past feeling have reached a point of insensitivity. Now we didn't start out that way because our creator built something into us called our conscience that lets us know when we are experiencing right and wrong. 
Now, we can't always just let our conscience be our guide because it can be destroyed. I told a little story. I'm sure I've told this before. But let me repeat it for the sake of illustration of the old prospector digging for gold. Had had some success and was hiding it under his bunk. He had a fateful dog named Shep that was by his side day and night. And one night, robbers unsuspectingly surrounded his house and intended to rob him. But Shep began to bark and disturb his sleep. The man got up, looked around the cabin, came back, hadn't seen anything, laid back down and went to sleep. Robbers got a little closer. Shep got more annoyed. He barked again, woke up his master. This time after looking around, the master scolded his dog and said, Lay down. Be quiet. Let me sleep. Third time. Faithful. In spite of the rebuke. He was barking. Woke up his master because he sensed danger was near. This time, looking around, didn't see anything in the darkness. Took a stick and beat his dog and said, Now, I've told you the to be quiet, lay down, and let me get some sleep. But in spite of the thrashing and the threatening, when the danger got closer, Shep woke him up again. And when he investigated and found he couldn't see anything in the darkness, he took his pistol and shot the dog, went back down to sleep. They stole in the house, killed the miner, stole his gold because he shot the only friend who cared enough to arouse him to danger. And I believe that that is a picture of what we do to our conscience. When people say to me, Pastor, but I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't feel anything wrong about that. I believe them. Because they are past feeling. They don't feel that anymore. And my question to them is, did you ever, have you ever felt that it was wrong. Oh yes. When you began that procedure. When you started down that road. Did you feel that then? And in honesty they would say yes. But they scolded their conscience. They quieted their conscience. They killed their conscience. Until now they can proceed without any inhibitions whatsoever. They are past feeling God has removed or has, has no longer access to touching them at that point of their need, they are then free to proceed to the next step, giving themselves over to all kinds of lasciviousness, to work uncleanness with greediness. I don't think you can do the second step without the first step. Saying no to your conscience, be quiet to your conscience, lay down and be still, don't disturb me. I don't want to be disturbed. And when that conscience is quieted you can move on to the second step and proceed business as usual and say well I don't feel there's anything wrong with that that doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with it because you don't feel there's anything wrong with it with greediness that word is the word for covetousness which always means never satisfied always looking for more. Covetousness is as idolatry. And it means always searching for more because you see the deceitfulness of sin is it promises fulfillment and satisfaction it can't produce. 
I have been amazed as I've watched the newscast that they are with this war on drugs now confiscating it by the tons. 11 tons, 22 tons. Why is that? Because the demand is always for more and for more and for more and for more. There's no point at which the eyes are satisfied. There's no point at which the body is satisfied. There always has to be more. So that's the way of the world. And the Holy Spirit says, don't walk like that. Don't walk that way. And if it wasn't possible for a Christian to walk that way, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have had to say it in this passage of Scripture. Don't walk this way. That's the way the Gentiles walk. We are called to walk worthy of the Lord and walk in purity before Him. Don't walk that way. For you have not so learned Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he touches our heart and convicts us. That is the best friend you and I will ever have. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit is saying to us, don't go that way. That's the way of destruction. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is the way of death. Don't walk that way. You have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him, and have been taught of him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man that is corrupt according, here it is, to the deceitful desires. Sin is the most deceitful thing. It promises what it could never produce. But I have a gospel to preach to you this morning that says he saves, he keeps, he satisfies. Hallelujah. And if you haven't discovered that, friend, you won't find it in a church. You'll only find it in Jesus Christ as your Lord. In your personal relationship and commitment to him, you'll find a deep and settled satisfaction. He will produce what he promises. Faithful is he who hath promised who also will do it. Now for years, I presented... These verses, or the next verse or so, in a, in a very uh, narrow way, half the truth. How many know the way you were taught something is usually the way you teach something? And I was brought up on half of the message of Ephesians 4, putting off. You should get rid of this. You should put off this. You should get away from that, take care of this. But we never got around to putting on, in a very practical way, the positive side. But I want to, this morning, establish a balance to your biblical understanding of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. We need to do both. We need to put off, and we need to put on. And what God has established in this portion of his word, I'd like to call the law of replacement. We do not overcome, we are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. And that's the missing link in, in our Christian lives at times, is replacing evil with good. And he's saying to us, put off the old man. Verse 22, the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
that you put on the new man after God created in righteousness and true holiness. And here's where the particulars come in. Very specific. He says, put away lying. Put away lying. But notice, when you take that coat off, he has another one to hand you, to put on. Then he says, not only is it enough not to speak untruth, which carries with it all kinds of scriptural ramifications. The Bible talks about hell in Revelations. Among those who will be found there are all liars who will have their part in the lake of fire that burneth with fire and brimstone, who loveth and maketh a lie. But it's more than that. Put off or put away lying, but speak every man the truth with his neighbor. That's the replacement. It's not enough not to tell people that which isn't true or give them the wrong impression. Because how many know that a lie is not in the words you say, but the impression you leave? It's not enough to hurt people with a lie. Sometimes you think, well, I'll help them with a lie. No, I don't think you help people with a lie. You only help people with truth. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. Christians lie? Evidently. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have to say, hey, that's, don't walk that way. Don't walk that way. We are people who deal with truth and are to live in truth. So not, not only take off that garment, but put on speaking the truth with your neighbor. Let me just quickly give you a picture of Lazarus. You know how Jesus stood at that tomb in Bethany and called him by name and said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible said he came bound hand and foot. He was alive, no doubt about it. He had experienced a supernatural manifestation of restoration of life. He was alive, but he was dressed in the clothes of the tomb, characteristic of corruption. Jesus said, take those garments away. He should be dressed in something different. He's not a man among dead men. He's a man among living men. Hallelujah. And so we should live characteristic of those who are alive in Christ. And he's saying, take off that which is of the characteristic of corruption from the tomb and be dressed in a different garment, a different robe. Put off lying. That's of the tomb. That's of the old life. That's of the corruptible. Put on speaking truth with your neighbor. Be angry. Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Because if you do, you build an apartment for the adversary. Neither give place to the devil. And if we don't deal with our anger, we build an apartment for the adversary. I don't know about you, but I'm not in the apartment business. And I don't want him for a tenant. I don't want to give place. I don't want to make a little room and put a little bed and a nightstand and a light and, and have intended him to stay there. Take care of the problem today before the sun goes down.
And everybody said, Amen. Let him that stole steal no more. Now, I, I said in the early service, in a little devotional book that I was reading, Chuck Swindoll wrote, he said, be careful of the commas. The punctuation in Scripture is also important. And the placement of the comma, if you changed it in this verse, someone had changed it to read, let him that stole steal no more, rather working with his own hands that he might do good and give to them that have need. We want to keep the comma in the right place. Let him that steals stole steal no more, but rather working with his own hands that which is good. Now you see, when you take off the old, it's not enough that I determine not to take what doesn't belong to me. But I must determine to work that which is good with my own hands, not just for myself. Because working for myself can be selfish and sinful. That's the way the world does it. That's the way the world walks. Don't walk that way. You see, it isn't a matter of who can amass the most and who can have the biggest bank account and who can be the most powerful. But he said, work so that you might be able to have, so you'll be able to give to those who are in need. It's not enough that I don't take something away from someone to hurt them, but what do I do to give to them to help them? That's the new way of walking. Take off the old way, which is I'll take it away if I can, and put on the new garment that says I'll work with my hands so I can be a blessing to anyone who's in need. Not just so I can be rich, but so I can be a blessing. Put on the new garment. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands, the thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's the negative. Take that off. Put it away. That's the way the world talks. The rest of it, he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I like that garment a lot better, don't you? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. That word corrupt means rotten. Have you ever reached into a fruit basket for an apple and your thumb goes all the way through one? Rotten. Corrupt. No one wants to partake of that. If you, if you salvage anything, you take the knife and cut that away. Throw it away. You get rid of it. Oh my, how much more horrible for a Christian to deal in corrupt communication. That that comes out of their mouth. That others are made to partake of that kind of conversation when there's a better way. He said, put that away. The world talks that way. But a believer has something good to say. Hallelujah. Something edifying to say. They leave the person built up and made strong in God. Hallelujah. It affects our speech. It affects our spirit. It affects our labor. It affects our lives this new way of living. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace to the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. 
How do we grieve Him? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away. That's the old garment. That's the old... The world has characteristics like that. But here's the garment He extends from His wardrobe. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. How do we do that when we're bitter? When we don't forgive, we become bitter. When there's an unforgiving spirit, we become bitter. Anger, clamor. One is fighting with fists, the other is fighting with words. You see, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've invited Him to come and live. If there's bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, how many would be comfortable as a house guest in a house like that? You'd say, oh, boy, this is not a real pleasant place to be. Have you ever been visiting somewhere and the family got in a fight? And you wonder, what do I look? What do I do now? The Holy Spirit has come to take residence within us. And when there's bitterness, and anger, and wrath, and clamor, He's not comfortable there. We grieve Him. But when there's love, and joy, and kindness, and tender-heartedness, and forgiveness, how many enjoy staying a place like that the Holy Spirit does too so he says don't walk like that the world walks that way walk worthy Father I pray for the Holy Spirit to minister truth to our hearts help us to walk in unity Lord you went to Calvary you endured Gabbatha, the beating. You endured Golgotha, the nails, the humility, humiliation, the shame. So that we might be made one together. Help us to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help us to hear today the Spirit of God would say to us. The way the Gentiles walk is in the vanity of their mind. Emptiness, futility. When it's all said and done, when the bottom line is drawn and it's totaled up, they say, is this all there is? Is this all there is? But, oh God, there's a better way. You have revealed to us in the previous chapters that through the ages to come we might explore the riches of the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ, the inheritance in the saints. Oh God, I pray that you might help us to recognize we're people of 
revelation and purpose. We know where we're going. So for us, it's not all there is in this life. We're able to work with our hands that which is good to give because we're living in the light of eternity. We know that for us, eternity might be over in just a day or two. Only one life will soon be passed and what's done for Christ will last. And so we walk differently because we know where we're going. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to that one this morning who is walked away from God, is walking in the opposite direction, headed straight for destruction. And I pray this morning they might turn around and be...